Here's a recipe for an absolute emotional clusterfuck. First, let's take a breakup and all that led up to it, right? Now, let's add the patriarchy's policies for legally getting out of that relationship, which, by the way, are designed to perpetuate male dominance. Finally, if applicable, let's add the conditioning around divorce from the church to it. What do we get? A whole fucking hot mess, if you ask me. (laughs) It sucks. It's really uncomfortable. But with good support and radical courage, we can climb that mountain and reach down to pull others up behind us. I'm Sarah. This is Reclaiming and Girls to the Fucking Front. so glad you're here again with me this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if this is your first episode, welcome. Reclaiming is a weekly feminist podcast all about, you got it, (laughs) reclaiming everything taken from us one by one. It's part of the Reclaim Fucking Everything project, and I'm so glad you're here with me. This week, I wanted to talk about divorce. Now, I am not a legal expert, so I have absolutely zero to contribute about the ins and outs of divorce. So this week, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about the difficult emotional and spiritual journey that we might experience before and after those initial papers are filed. But first, let's get to a little housekeeping. If you haven't subscribed to the newsletter, please do. I put a ton of effort and love into it, and it's full of a lot of really good shit, if I do say so myself. You can sign up at the website at reclaimeffingeverything.com. That's reclaim, E-F-F-I-N-G, everything.com. And follow me on Instagram at reclaimeffingeverything. And please download the first two issues of The Front. It's a zine I created and I uh, produced it and I made the art and everything. It's on the website. It's my little witchy feminist baby. And I'm so loving the feedback on it so far. So go ahead to the website. Again, that's reclaimeffingeverything.com. And I also just wanted to throw in a caveat that I am not a psychologist or a therapist or a lawyer, like I said. So if you think you need further help with the issues, around your divorce or anything I talk about in this episode, please seek the help out you need. You know best. You trust your gut. I trust you to trust yourself. Um, I'll put some resources and all of my sources for this episode in the show notes. And I think that's it. Okay. I think the house has been cupped. Uh, So this week we're talking about divorce. A few months ago, I read an article about how Christina Ricci sold her handbag collection to pay for her divorce. I posted about it on Instagram saying, I really don't think we talk enough about what it takes for some of us to leave our marriages because it's such a, you know, such a huge thing as divorce is bound to cause us a ton of confusion and fear, even if we feel this exciting new shift in freedom to be ourselves. So anyway, I posted about this and so many people slid into my DMs and told me their story to the point where I couldn't even keep up and I decided I needed to talk about it. So here we are. Divorce, and I mean this in straight marriages, has always been astronomically harder for people who identify as women. 
I can't speak for LGBTQ marriages, but I imagine they experience a ton of obstacles all their own. I also can't speak for marriages with kids involved, as I know this adds a whole new legal layer of complication, not to mention all that added emotional stuff and burden of care that overwhelmingly falls on people who identify as women. I don't have kids, so I'm not going to speak to that. Um, I hope one day maybe I can have some kind of an expert come on and talk about that. So anyway... The economic and social policies around marriage and divorce and reproductive rights and labor all perpetuate male dominance. Even when the rules are gender neutral, they're administered in systematically biased ways. When I got divorced, I didn't know a lot of people who were divorced, so I didn't really have anyone to guide me through this roller coaster. The months leading up to filing and the months after were cataclysmic in setting me on the path that I'm on right now. And now, in hindsight, I see that beyond the lessons I learned about myself, one of the biggest lessons I came to understand is that the process leaves a lot to be desired for certain groups of people. These people include women, people who identify as women, uneducated folks, people people impacted by poverty, single mothers, the list goes on. Basically, anyone if you're not a rich white dude. If you're not a rich white dude, divorce is a process that deeply threatens your power and agency. And I was lucky and privileged as fuck during my divorce. It was really, really hard, but I can only imagine how challenging it is for so many other folks. So we deserve to get loud about it. We deserve to share our experiences. I was in a cisgendered hetero marriage for seven years. I knew from very early on that I had made a mistake about six months to be exact, but I stayed because divorce was simply not an option. And I didn't know any better as a really young woman. I grew up in an evangelical megachurch where couples were encouraged through church-sponsored counseling to stay married no matter what, especially if they had kids. I've mentioned it before, but I was also raised in purity culture. And purity culture forced us into marriages at very young ages. If we wanted to, you know, be normal, horny teenagers and have sex or live with the other person, we had to get married. No questions asked, no questions answered. So I did. I got married at 22 before my prefrontal cortex was fully developed. I don't really need to go into all the shit that happened in those seven years that we were married, but suffice it to say, it really wasn't healthy for either of us. In fact, it was pretty fucking unhealthy. There was a time I began self-harming. I remember the moment I realized where there just had to be more out there for me, as if there was a magical portal somewhere where there was this mirror version of Sarah living the life that I deserved. Like I said, I didn't think divorce was an option for me, but I kept that Sarah in my back pocket. And every single time I cried in the shower, I grew a little more willing to risk everything to get to her. So with her still in my mind, after a very slow, careful start, I started doing little things at about year five. As you'll hear me say time and time again, little steps of courage and risk really started adding up. I started wearing lipstick, heels, and perfume, which had been three things that he didn't like me wearing. (laughs) Um, And they're three things that actually have kind of come to define me. So yeah. Then I started a war chest of my own savings. Then I started hanging out with people who actually made me feel alive. And I spent less and less time lonely inside the house that we shared. With every small step, I started to trust myself more and more to the point where I finally gained the courage to leave a month before my 29th birthday. And then everything kicked into turbo drive. I was a brand new person. It was like just the curtains had opened. This was the premiere show. 
It was really hard for everyone, including me, to get used to this new Sarah. Some of my friends fell by the wayside. Some new ones came into my life. Some new dudes jumped at the chance to hang out. Some old flames tried to rekindle. That was awkward. It was really exhilarating and really scary. Parts of me I had hidden or stuffed away all those years started coming out, like I said, with a vengeance. I partied and I drank and I smoked a ton of weed, coming home most mornings in my clothes from the night before. But some of our old mutual friends watched on with what I can only explain as voyeuristic nosiness. One of my friends even texted me and she told me that she ran into my ex on Tinder, heavily implying she wanted my tacit blessing for swiping right. (laughs) Didn't reply to that message. And then some of my friends were really sweet. It was honestly just a fucking shit show, my loves. And that's because I didn't realize how much the system that I was leaving, that patriarchal purity culture forced marriage had harmed me. I didn't realize how disembodied I had become. I didn't realize how much I had hidden away because I thought those systems knew what was best for me. And when I left, the systems tried everything in their fucking power to hold me back, to convince me that I was doing the wrong thing. But I never once thought about going back to my old life, no matter how scared I was and how loud those patriarchal voices were and those actors and agents of the patriarchy. So where does this harmful system come from here in the U.S.? And let me give you a little another little caveat. This is a very Eurocentric case study, but arguably the most famous divorce of Western culture was Henry VIII. Catherine of Aragon couldn't give him a male heir, so he wanted, and he also wanted to marry Anne Boleyn. So he broke up with Rome in 1533 to create the Church of England so that he could divorce Catherine. So then he remarried Anne. She didn't give him a male heir either, so he charged her with treason, adultery, incest, and she was beheaded. I guess that was easier than just a second divorce. But his divorce from Catherine was then really the only divorce until the 17th century when Britain then required any marriage to be dissolved by an act of parliament. And as you can guess, this rarely happened and really only happened if it was instigated by wealthy, connected men. Divorce was widely shunned by the church at that point, even though the church was literally developed so that Hank could get his divorce and then fuck off for the rest of his life. In the U.S., Divorce stayed on the very fringes of society until the first divorce law was enacted in the mid-19th century. Then, throughout the next hundred years, the relatively lax divorce law mixed with westward expansion, a.k.a. white land theft, and short residency requirements to settle the West created these things called divorce ranches. Okay, this is the weirdest fucking thing ever. But these divorce ranches were where divorce hopefuls could pay to stay for weeks that they needed to establish residency. And let's be real here. These divorce ranches were probably full of mostly moneyed men because what woman or person of color or immigrant could afford to stay somewhere to get divorced for like six weeks at a time at least? This really gross practice also helped to settle the West with white folks. So I'm sure, you know, two birds. Um, Reno was a really big place for this. Is really interesting. And then in 1970, Ronald Reagan, yes, the Ronald Reagan that evangelicals who hate divorce tend to, you know, idolize, enacted the first no-fault divorce law in California when he was governor, which then allowed divorces by mutual consent. And most states adopted similar laws within a decade. So as you can see, babies... The Western patriarchy has been expertly crafty over the centuries at getting men out of their marriages, but divorce was never designed to help women or people of color or any other marginalized groups, at least not economically. Historically, women earn less, 
although this is changing, and marriage has a track record of increasing the economic gap as married women bear the overwhelming responsibility for childbearing. Historically, mothers also tend to retain physical custody of their kids, and divorced women are forced to meet much greater demands with fewer resources than their former husbands. And while child support is definitely a thing, the law says that those payments are actually just intended to cover, quote, basic living expenses that are reasonable and necessary for the child's upbringing. That might not be enough to pay for all of the things that you want to provide for your child, in which case your ex-spouse might not be legally required to help. Although women are participating in the labor market now more than ever, men historically haven't participated in homemaking at the same rate. All of this economic inequality between the genders is magnified with divorce. Some feminists actually credit the movement from fault to no-fault divorce as responsible for the inadequate provision of women in modern divorce law. Okay, you following so far? That's a lot to take in, right? If this were a blog, I might throw in a cute gif or something of like puppies playing for a little levity, but alas, let's keep going. Now, all of that, you know, economic equality, all of the patriarchy, like creating these systems that made it easier for men. Let's throw in the Christian stigma, (laughs) shall we? You guys ready for that? I mean, if this were a drinking game, I'd I'd say this is the point where you take a shot every time, you know, you roll your eyes. Although in liberal communities, divorce is not usually something that is shunned or looked down on. In many conservative religious circles, it is. (laughs) My experience aside, I went to a bunch of church and Christianity websites to pull their exact language about divorce, which totally fucked my Google ads algorithm, by the way. And although it seems like some conservative Christian churches are shifting their stances to extend a little more grace and dignity to divorced women, they all have a long fucking way to go. I went to focus on the family's website and trust me, trust me, that click felt dirty as fuck. (laughs) But I wanted to see what they said. And here is what they say on their website. Focus on the family's position is that divorce and remarriage appear to be justified in scripture in only a few instances. There is a third instance in which we believe remarriage is acceptable in scripture. That instance is when an individual's divorce occurred prior to salvation. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, please pray carefully about your decision to divorce and be open to God's leading. And this is in parentheses, God's heart is to heal marriages. If your spouse is the one deciding on divorce, you may not be able to stop him or her through current divorce laws. However, you can try to persuade your spouse to consider a legal separation first, which would give you both more time to consider the issue. Notice that they don't outright say that divorce is against the Bible's rules. It's very carefully and heavily implied that divorce isn't God's plan. And I use God's plan in quotes. This tracks with my church experience growing up because almost all of the marriages I was exposed to there were long-term divorceless marriages. And that's not to say I think those relationships need or needed divorces. In fact, I consider myself very lucky that I was surrounded by so many durable, strong, loving marriages. I think honestly, a lot of those marriages instilled communication strategies and things that are helping me in my marriage with Eric now. And he is my absolute love of my life person. So I'm very grateful. But what it did do was it trapped me into that first marriage that I had no business being in. And divorce was not an option until I worked up enough courage to make it the only option. Like I said, though, 
in my research, I did notice that more and more, some circles of the patriarchal Christian church are starting to open their minds about the harm that this dogma has caused. Leaving my marriage and stepping into my true self was, like I said, scary and exhilarating as fuck. Not only did I have to navigate through a system that was designed to keep me in a marriage that harmed me, I had to go through the difficult process of learning who I truly am and coaxing her out with love and the promise of safety. And I had to do all of this while navigating the changing relationships around me as the people I loved had to adjust their versions and expectations of me. I also had to navigate the system that significantly um, benefited my ex-husband over me. It was a lot, babe. It was a fucking lot. Back then and until now, I really wished more people talked about divorce in a way that could affirm what I was going through. And since then, I think we do. I think there have been a lot more people that have really opened up about it publicly, especially celebrities and people in the spotlight. One person is on a Ferris. She was on Chelsea Handler's podcast recently talking about her two divorces. She also said that it was incredibly liberating that she reverted back to her 17-year-old self. Honey, (laughs) I did the exact same thing. I don't know if it was my 17-year-old self. It felt more like my 25-year-old self that I reverted back to, but it was a 25-year-old me that I didn't get a chance to experience, and it was the part of me that I needed to experience. Just to be honest, I had a fucking blast doing it. I still have some of the best friends of my entire life from that period of time that I keep in touch with, and I wouldn't change any of it. It all brought me to where I'm supposed to be. So I related to Anna when she said that she was terrified, too, after her divorce, that she wasn't going to be a good lover, that she spent all this time being so self-conscious about her body and wanting to be desired. I felt that. When I left my marriage, I, too, was worried about my sexuality, about my body. I was, again, like, you know, a horny teenager, and I had no idea what made me feel good. And I didn't know what it felt like to be desired. And luckily, I had Eric to help me navigate through a lot of that. And I realized that not everyone is as lucky as I was to have such a supportive partner. But that that was my story. I got really, really lucky. And he really helped me come back into my body um, over the course of several years, actually, I would say. It's probably one of those things that he's always going to be helping me with. And for that, I am so grateful for him. Anna also talks about how after any kind of breakup, you realize how many things you ignored that you shouldn't have. And that's, you know, if you're ever in that position, I want you to know that you do not need to be hard on yourself. Keep all those things in mind that you realize, all those things that you had ignored, write them down. And you know, if you're in a relationship that has the patriarchy stamp of approval, but doesn't quite feel right, or even feels like it could be at some point dangerous, I want you to know it's okay to call it off. It's okay to call off an engagement or a wedding before it happens. It's brave, it's smart, and it's strong. Anna says that, I'm saying that now. I probably could have called off mine. I don't, I I mean, like I said, I'm not going to go back and say like, what if, just because everything that happened to me got me to where I am right now. And I'm so grateful. And I think I knew before it happened that it wasn't the right fit. And I was too worried about all the money that had been spent on it and all of the 
invitations that had gone out and all the people that were expecting. And I was a baby. I was 22 years old. There was no way I was going to call it off. Absolutely no way. So I want you to know if you're in that position, it is okay to call off an engagement or a wedding before it happens. Also, please know that the only person you're obligated to is yourself. Obviously, if you have kids, you're obligated to them as well. But as someone without kids, I won't even pretend to know what's best for you. I trust you to know deep down. But if you don't have kids, the only person you're obligated to is yourself, not your pastor, not your parents, not your partner, no one, no one, only to yourself. Be true. Trust yourself. Listen to those little inklings that when they come and you can do this. Even if your conservative patriarchal community might shun you or is shunning you for your decision, there are so many out there, so many of us out there that support you. Let that fear come and let it go. Do the scary, brave stuff anyway. The only way out is through. And let's take everything one step at a time. Also, speaking from experience, if you haven't gotten yours in a long time, babies, go get yours. If you've been in a dead bedroom in a marriage that was a dead bedroom and you leave and you go through the trampage as you know, I've seen it called, baby, just be safe. <laughs> Check in through your intuition. Have fun. Go get yours. You deserve it. You deserve to feel good. And stay in touch with your intuition and look to lighthouses like Anna Ferris or any of your friends who have gone through similar situations and made it out on the other side. Or shoot me a message because my love, I'm here for you too. That's it for this week, dolls. I love you so much. Please remember to sign up for the newsletter at reclaimeffingeverything.com. That's reclaimeffing.com. Download the second issue of The Front Scene on the website. Shoot me a message. Get something off your chest. I am here for you no matter what. Also, if you could leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple or Spotify, that really helps me out with the algorithm. And I just am so grateful that you're here. I, I just can't tell you how much love I have for all the support for this project. I think there's a lot of people who have you know their own stories and their own things to say about all these topics. And I just can't wait to cover each one with you. I am so fucking excited to be here with you. Thank you so much for tuning in, my sweet, sweet friends. Again, I love you so much. And until next week, girl fucking power. Oh, 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 oh,